Good day, dear listeners. This is Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Caleb Gardner, founder and managing partner of 18 Coffees, a management consulting firm and a community of forward-thinking leaders building more ethical, inclusive, and effective organizations. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Great to have you. So that's going to be an interesting conversation about uh, management consulting and some of the concepts that you have. So let's uh, start with the usual question about your entrepreneurial journey, including your stint helping President Obama's campaigns. So how do you get here? And how did you get to <laughs> be the founder of uh, 18 Coffees? You know, I feel like we are... It is an appropriate time to be having this conversation because a lot of my entrepreneurial journey is wrapped up in Twitter, which is in the news right now as we are recording this podcast. I actually got involved in Twitter around 2008, and I met a ton of people here in my backyard in Chicago that were in the tech scene and the in marketing in business who were using Twitter back when it was this like innocent place that you could get to know people. And I ended up meeting someone who referred me to a job at Edelman in Chicago, a big um, global communications firm. They were just creating a digital strategy division and needed smart people to come in and teach a you know old school PR firm how to do digital well. And she ended up being my mentor for a while. And after that, I met people through Edelman that had been part of the Obama organization who had either worked on the 2008 campaign or ended up leaving and working on the 2012 campaign. We were actually positioned in Chicago across the street from where the Obama campaign was. And so, you know, just by proximity, by sharing of talent, I got to know a lot of people in Obama world and eventually got referred to the job that led me to run social media for the president for almost four years through that. So very serendipitous going from kind of an innocent user of Twitter, meeting people, networking to running the Twitter account for the most powerful man in the world. Yeah, that must have been a pretty, uh, pretty exciting time for you. So what was the biggest thing that you learned from working on the president's Twitter account? Oh, so much. What do I narrow it down? I mean, I learned that when you have a really good team surrounding you who is willing to think on their feet, you can overcome all kinds of obstacles. I mean, the amount of political pressure, the amount of risk we faced every day on top of just like a global audience and, you know, who's just waiting for us to screw up. And, you know, we're having conversations with the White House comms team about not causing an economic crisis by accidentally tweeting the wrong thing. I mean, it's just the stakes were insane. And so the ability to trust your team and to know that they are going to be able to move quickly with you and think on their feet in really, you know, not not that like impressive environment. Like if you've ever worked on a political campaign or in the government, you're not this isn't like a we work. You're not like, you know, you don't have all these like corporate perks that a lot of people in the private sector have around their job. We were really bootstrapping it together in ways that I think people don't appreciate. And so I learned that if you trust your people, if you hire the right people and you trust them to be able to move quickly, if you're doing work that is mission-driven and inspiring and makes the world better, people will, you know, put in just all kinds of performance, not just in terms of hours, just in terms of like caring and, and caring about the quality and caring about what's what you're saying every day. People really perform amazingly. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's so important to, if you can capture the emotional engagement of people, 
mm-hmm. and they really buy into emotionally to what you are trying to accomplish, then they are going to bring everything they have to the job. It's not right. just their intellect and time resources, but they, they will figure things out for you. Right. So let's talk a little bit about frameworks. You know, this podcast is all about frameworks, uh, management blueprint, I call them. And you developed a framework called the communications canvas. So what does this canvas design to do and what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, it looks like any of the many canvases that I've used over the years that have been developed by smart people. It's meant to be a tool that is able to be filled out by teams together or actually individually, depending on what your communications team looks like. But it was originally designed by me and a few people on my team who come from the marketing and communications world who think about things like what a value prop is, how do you translate that and do key messages across several different mediums how do you translate a something that's really complex? How do you boil it down into different mediums in a way that appreciates the nuances of that medium? What do you use different mediums for? And how do you measure the efficacy of how you're using those different mediums? You know, these are things that we would think about in marketing communications. But actually, when it comes to internal communications with our employees, our shareholders, we don't think about it with the same level of complexity and we don't appreciate how often and in all the different ways we need to communicate a message. And so the communications canvas was originally designed as a tool that takes some of that thought, thoughtfulness and complexity and applies it to how you make change within an organization and how you apply the same kind of communications discipline that you would externally to persuading your people about the direction we're headed, persuading your shareholders, persuading your employees, persuading your leadership if necessary. We've seen people take this and apply it to, I need to convince my senior leaders that we need to move in this direction. Where can I apply that persuasion and pressure in different mediums so that they understand? So it was originally designed for that purpose. We've seen it actually used in a few different purposes now, but it's meant to be a tool that just maps it out for you. How do how should we talk to our people? So we talked about the elements of it being the first one. First one is to identify the pain points and then the value proposition mm-hmm. and then the messaging and the metrics. So can you give a little bit of an elaboration on, on each of these four elements and how they uh, flow together? Yeah. I mean, the pain points are trying to empathize with who you're talking to, right? Trying to say, okay, we're about to go through this transformation or we're about to start this new strategy or whatever you're trying to communicate. What about that is, what about the person you're talking to is painful right now that this new direction may help alleviate? So it's starting to try to get into their mindset a little bit with how to communicate in a way that positions it specifically for them. That's not just for a general audience. How do we specifically talk to their pain? And then similarly with the value proposition, we, we usually start even before we get to this Canvas exercise talking about visioning. Like how do we talk about where we want to go as an organization in a way that's really compelling and is both aspirational, but also attainable. And then we'll actually bring that vision to something like the Canvas exercise so that we can talk about the value prop for that specific audience. If we're talking about different stakeholder groups, how is the vision of where we're going going to be different for employees in HR versus employees in marketing versus employees in data and analytics versus versus shareholders or other other stakeholders that might not even be, you know, in the day to day. So I think the value prop ends up being different for them based on those pain points. 
Okay. And then how do you boil that down to specific messages for each of those people in what mediums is where the rubber starts to hit the road? Because now we're talking about not just high-level value prop, we're talking about day-to-day communications and where we're going to actually engage with these people and try to get that value prop across. And then you measure that, obviously, so that you know how effective those messages are. Exactly. So how is a message... Is there a process uh, that we can describe for how the message gets articulated for different uh, audiences, stakeholders? Or is it more of an intuitive process on how you you basically you want to use the language, the verbiage of that group and talk to them this way? Is this, is this mm-hmm. a process driven or is this more of a, a, a relational thing? I mean, the tool is meant to be a a milestone with you and the team can sit down and say, here's what this should look like in a broad standpoint for this audience. But on any given day, we're creating thousands of messages, right? Externally, we're creating messages, obviously, for our audiences or as individuals, I'm creating like all kinds of social media messaging. But internally, we're also sending emails and we're sending Slack messages and we're sending, you know, all kinds of internal communications as well. So this isn't meant to be a content calendar. It's not meant to like flesh out every specific individual message. But what it is meant to do is ground you in a very quickly ground you in a strategy that can be a foundational document for how you develop that messaging. And so if we're saying we need to be able to talk to our employees about this big change coming up, let's say it's a leadership turnover. We need to we need to be able to communicate this leadership turnover. We're going to debut it at an all-staff meeting, but we're going to have to reinforce it via email this many times a week. We're going to have to reinforce it via Teams or Slack or whatever your organization uses. There needs to be some consideration of how people receive those messages differently in those different mediums and how often. But it can start with this canvas, which is just meant to get it on paper from a big picture standpoint. Okay, got it. So so that's that's a great framework for people to think about okay how do I, how do i articulate and uh, share the message and tailor it to the different groups and then ultimately you want to measure it and make sure that you're improving the effectiveness now i'd like to switch gears here a little bit and i'd like to talk about your new book no point b so tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book what is this about and what was your goal with publishing it yeah related to the work that we were doing When I was working with President Obama and when I was at Edelman, I got very interested in this new communications world and and really not just the world of communications, but the world of technology and how it was changing business in general. And I got super interested in who's building for the next world, like who's taking all of this potential that technology gives us and thinking about how to apply it to business in a really creative way that upends business models, that upends different areas of value for the organization, that finds new areas of value. And at the same time, coming out of Obama world in 2016, we were seeing how that upending of expectations that technology was giving us, especially when you and I can take to the internet with our opinions and our political views and our values and you know, take any company to task about how they are or are not living up to their own stated public social responsibility goals, we felt like there was a, a something transformational happening around the social responsibility of business as well. And so between technological disruption and social disruption, we thought business was about to completely change. I say we, because at that time, I founded my current company, 18 Copies, with my business partner. And we started doing that transformational work. 
leaning on what we knew about communications, what we knew about technology, what we knew about innovation. We were like, we've got to be able to bring the entire org along. And there's something about that Obama organizing model where you can bring people along with making big change that we can apply to companies that want to be more ambitious about how they are doing their work. And so when I went to write the book, I was really talking about the work that we've done over the last five years in that space. How do you be ambitious, continue to innovate, but still be socially responsible and still bring the rest of your people along in the organization so people don't get left behind? So, you know, when I talk about the book, I'm really talking about how do we do change well? Like, how do we think about change in this specific environment, which is unique, but then also talk about kind of best practices for human development, for mindset change, for change management, for a lot of the things that we've known that really work over the last, you know, 30 years. I think that we are both in this like very specific, unique moment that calls for some new thinking. And we can look at what doesn't change and what is foundational about the way that people change how they work that we can learn from. So what is the title No Point B refers to? So is it about uh, no clear direction or is it about no alternative destination? What, what is this about? Yeah, it's about the fact that change never stops coming. So the, the idea is that in traditional change management models, you would look at change from a linear perspective. You would say, okay, we've got this big disruptive thing coming or this thing that happened to us. Our org is going to be disrupted for this amount of time and we're going to manage it accordingly. And then eventually we're going to get back to quote unquote normal. The argument that I'm making in no point B is there is no normal. There's never We're never going to arrive at a point where we can stop changing and get back to business as usual. There's too much disruption happening, both internal and external, and make a big case for why technology is being so disruptive to the way that we work now and why our political environment is so disruptive. And so the argument that I make is that change has to become a core practice. Like We have to see this as something we are constantly doing and that we have to practice doing and that we have to get our organization adaptable in order to deal with an environment of constant change. So that's a great point that you're making, that we have to get used to uh, the changing world and you know get comfortable with the uncomfortable, I guess, um, mm-hmm. uh, is the idea here. So how do we do change well? What, what does it mean being a change, uh, I don't know, a change agent and an adaptable change uh, participant who basically accepted, embrace, embraces the idea that we have to keep changing? Well, what does it look like? It looks like switching your mindset to be less focused on how do I do all these things on my to-do list right now well and switching it to all these things are on my to-do list and I have to do them well. And actually, I need to think about what's not on my to-do list and what is going to be coming down the pipeline that may actually make the things that I'm doing today irrelevant or at the very least, maybe not as important. Maybe it's going to shift my priorities. On an individual basis, we have to shift like that. But I think we have to teach people, we have to train people to think like that within teams and within organizations too. And there's a few different ways that I bring that out uh, in the book. One is that you know there's rituals we can create as teams around breaking down old, think- old thinking and restructuring the way that we think to see new opportunities. There's dry runs about like crisis scenarios where we can say, what's the worst case scenario that could happen in this 
thing that we are trying to do? And how do we do some risk analysis about how likely that worst case scenario is going to happen? There's some forecasting we can do where we can look across multiple horizons and say, what is the future likely to look like or not look like? These are all things that we tend to not do in the day-to-day of our organization because we assume, we kind of rest on our strategic assumptions and assume that they're not going to be disrupted. And it's just, it's a very unsafe place to be from an organizational leadership standpoint. Well, you know, I'm I'm wondering about this topic because some people might argue that if there's too much complexity, if you're trying to uh, cross that bridge before you got there, then you might be wasting your energy and you might be better off focusing on the present and execute your current plan as well as you can. And then if that gets overridden, then you shift and pivot to another plan. But spending too much time thinking about the future in an unstructured way could be very, very confusing for people. So how do you help people cut through that confusion and not get distracted by all those potential uh, potential futures? Yeah, I mean, what you said, I would actually agree with. I think it can be very paralyzing. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't tend to do it (laughs) because we, because thinking about all possible futures is overwhelming. And so we just kind of myopically look at what we have right in front of us. But I don't think the answer to a complex world is to pretend like the complexity doesn't exist or to, to try to reduce what we can control down to just a few, you know, levers and, and ignore the rest. I think the answer is that we have to trade off some, not all, some of our time and resources now to the future so that we are not at risk of disruption. So like there's a 70-20-10 model that I talk about in the book that I didn't originate, but it's been around for a long time where we talk about 70% of our efforts and our resources going to positions that are defensible. We have specific product lines. We have specific service lines. We know that they work well. We want to double down on them. We want to make them work. We're going to have about 70% of our time and energy and and budget to go to reinforcing those things. But there's another 20% that we are seeing on the horizon that we know possibly is going to add value, that we've got some data points around that we should start making investments and being able to capitalize on those opportunities pretty quickly. But then there's another 10% where we have even less data, where maybe we're talking about moonshot ideas, where maybe we're talking about being able to invest in things where we don't have a lot of data, but we have good instincts, we've got good people with good education, like we need to be able to trust that they are actually have good ideas that we need to invest some resources in. We're not going to bet the farm on it. We're going to stay in you know the things that we know that work, but we're also not going to pretend like we are not in danger of being eventually disrupted by never actually trying anything new. Once those moonshots or once those kind of 20% uh, investment opportunities turn out to have value, we can start incorporating them into what we do or like rolling them out. But that to me is the answer. It's not about necessarily doing, not doing one or the other. It's about the trade-offs on our time and attention and being intentional about making time for the future now. Yeah, I like that. So basically, we need to work on the present and the future at the same time. And we have to figure out a way so that you can we can make the present work from 70% of our energy 
and be profitable as a company by just allocating 70% of the energy. So you have to free up 30% of our energy for the new opportunities and the moonshots, which is a challenge for many companies because they are right now, they are maybe working 110% of their energy and burning themselves out on just staying afloat. Or maybe they are just about under 100%. That is a very different mindset that it's not good enough to be 100%. You have to compress your work to the 70% of your capacity and you have to work on the future. But I guess as a professional, as an entrepreneur, we all have to do this, right? We always have to think about the future and squeeze it in somehow so yeah. we work on both. I mean, we, we talk a lot about prioritization. I mean, I would argue that if you are spending 110% of your time on something that what's the Pareto principle that only 20% of those things are probably really valuable to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's always efficiencies that we can find and, and space we can create for the future. I'm reminded of the old, uh, I think there's a an old Buddhist saying that's the Buddhist monk that used to say, if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate a day, then you should create 30 minutes to meditate a day. Like that's, that's what it reminds me of. That's what you need then, yes. Yeah, if you don't think that you have time to plan for the future, then it probably means you're you're in a worse position than than you actually think you are. That's a good, that's a really good one. Okay, so before we wrap up, I'd like to ask kind of a different question, and maybe that's that pertains to the 30% of your time. But you and I talked earlier, and you said that you really are focused on uh, or creating uh, time for social impact issues that are important to you personally. So I was just wondering what uh, kind of issues these are and why they are important to you. I mean, uh, I we started off this conversation talking about Twitter a little bit. I think that the impact of tech on society is something that I continue to care about, probably coming from the background that I do, I, you know, and feeling somewhat invested in uh, the tech ecosystem, both personally and professionally. I think that's something that I like finding a, a responsible forward path for technology to be um, a net positive to our country and not a net negative is something that I care about a lot. Democratic participation, again, just coming from the political sphere is something that I care about a lot and something that we invest in a lot as a firm, just trying to find better ways to get people to you know get out and vote and make it easier for people to vote. We also invest quite a bit in, again, both me personally and as a company in trying to help with sustainability and environmental issues uh, with the clients that we work with. So just in general, I think there's a, there's an interesting split between what our clients are interested in and how we can invest in helping them be more socially responsible, which is one kind of track of my how I think about social impact and then how I think about it just kind of personally as a citizen and what things I'm going to invest in personally. I think there's a lot of overlap there, but I'm in the beneficial position of, you know, running my own company and having a business partner that shares similar values and being able to invest both personally and professionally. Yeah, I like that. And and it probably allows you also to to be more in the world of your your customers and and engage with similar topics than they are and that yeah. will, uh, strengthen the connection with them and that will also help uh, probably your business at some point. I uh, love it. So Caleb, what can you, what do you suggest that the audience do? Uh, where should they go? What they, they can learn about the topics that they discuss, your books. Uh, you also wrote uh, another book. You guys are very, very prolific at 18 Coffees because you recently came out with the Changemakers Toolkit, which is another book that came out in September. So where should the audience go and what are the best resources to connect with you guys and to read uh, read uh, your materials? 
Thank you. CalebGardner.com has basically all of my information. I'm, I'm at Caleb Gardner most of the places around the web, including Instagram, Twitter. All my information about No Point B is on CalebGardner.com. The Changemakers Toolkit, which puts a lot of what I've written in No Point B into practical application, is uh, available on 18coffees.com. And you know we've really wanted to add tools like the communication canvas to it, where it's just it's a lot of things that you can take and use right away. So we're pretty, pretty excited about the potential for that. That that's on uh, 18coffees.com along with the rest of my team. That's awesome. Well, Caleb, thank you for, for sharing your, your vision and uh, your communication canvas with the audience and your vision of what the uh, company should look forward, uh, look, look like and, and think about the future. Uh, that's been very, very good. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, stay tuned because now we are uh, coming out to new episodes twice a week and there's always an exciting entrepreneur on the show. Thank you for listening.